Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no off-season, and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm outside. You could probably figure that out because there's a lot of noise where I'm at. I'm at a crossroads where I'm at. And let me tell you, the crossroads where I'm currently standing, and I'm currently looking at the second oldest stadium in the American League, stadium with a lot of tradition, a stadium that has been in use for generations, a stadium that has seen the greatest moment in the history of this franchise, that is the home of one of the game's brightest stars and a newly minted member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, and one that is an old-fashioned stadium in the middle of a neighborhood with apartments and residences around it and businesses that you can walk to from the game. You can go walk and grab something to eat and enjoy the businesses around here. Or you could live here with your stadium, with your apartment overlooking the stadium. You may not be able to watch the game from here, but you can look out your window and say, there it is. That's my neighborhood ballpark. Where is this place I'm talking about? Is it Fenway Park? Is it Wrigley Field? No. It's Angel Stadium here in Anaheim, California. That's right. Everything I just described was applicable to Angel Stadium. It is the second oldest stadium in the American League. Oh, there are storied franchises in New York and in Detroit, in Cleveland and in Chicago, but no stadium in the American League has been in use longer than Angel Stadium with the exception of Fenway Park. And this has been the home to superstars like Nolan Ryan, like Rod Carew, like the newly minted member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, Vladimir Guerrero, who had his uh, MVP season here with the Angels. The Angels, where I'm looking at right now, forgive me, there's cars. I think there's a helicopter flying overhead here. I really picked a great place to do a podcast. But this place has, was the location of their World Series championship. And of all their great moments, their team called this place home. And I'll tell you another thing that's interesting. It's a place where you can take a train to the stadium. You can. There are trains that you can take from other parts of Los Angeles to go see an Angels game. And so you look at this stadium. This is baseball tradition here. Save for one year at Wrigley Field, Los Angeles, and a few years that they played in Chavez Ravine. The Angels have called this place home, whether it's been Ana called Anaheim Stadium, Edison International Stadium, or Angel Stadium. Call it what you will. This is the park. We're at the Big A. It's a stadium that has a nickname. It's a stadium that no matter which great Angels player or great Angels moment that you can think of, this is their home. All right, all right. Someone will throw the fact that 
Dean Chance won the Cy Young Award when the Angels called Chavez Ravine their home. Fine. But it almost all is here. Their World Championship in 2002, their unlikely defeats of the Yankees that year and in 2005, and the rise of players, especially Mike Trout, the biggest and should be brightest star in the game that we have right now, all right here for the love of God, what the hell is that helicopter doing? I don't know, and someday we'll find out. And you look at this place and, and where the angels are playing, where I'm standing right now is a place called Stadium Crossing. And it is a crossroad of, of Major Street here in Anaheim. And right on the corner is a coffee shop. There's like a, you know, there's a strip mall here basically where they have you know, your Panda Express, your Starbucks, your, your, your Baskin Robin, your Subway. And you can sit right here Right, near, right by the Panda Express or the, uh, the Starbucks, sit at a chair and look up and you can see the stadium right there. It is walking distance. You can walk here. And you can also walk here from the many, many condos that are being built all around the stadium. And I mean all around the stadium. There's all these brand, this brand new uh, buildings that are being done, all this new construction being done, and these beautiful new apartments are here. So you can live in Anaheim and walk to the stadium. That's right. It's a neighborhood ballpark. And when you think about people longing for yesteryear and or, or romanticizing Wrigley Field or romanticizing Fenway Park, in many ways, the Angels are playing in a place that has that kind of continuity, that has that sense of connection that this is where they play. They're not moving anytime soon. When you watch old Angels highlights, this is the same stadium, whether it's great moments like Nolan Ryan striking out tons of batters or heartbreaking moments for Angel fans like the Dave Henderson home run. It's been here, right here. Memories accumulated, Hall of Fame careers had, and a neighborhood. I ask you a question, because this goes to a deeper philosophical point that I'm trying to make about the Angels. At what point do we say this is a, we can romanticize something like the Big A? At what point can we point to this stadium and say, man, it's a neighborhood ballpark. People live by here. People can walk to here. People can have businesses around here. You can go over and, and support the businesses around here. All right, it may not be as romantic because these are chain restaurants and like a strip mall, but you could still live here. This can still be, these apartment buildings I'm looking at can still be your home. And hey, I'm looking across the street and there's a, there's a bar and grill called The Catch. That's not a chain. Someone runs The Catch. And guess what? It looks like a, a, a bar and grill that you can walk to. You can, go, you can go get your whatever you got to have there. And when it's done, 
you're in walking distance to the stadium, and above it are apartment buildings. If you happen to live there, you don't have to worry about parking. You say, hey, let's walk across the street and see the Angels play. Is that something that could ever come about? Is that something that could ever happen? Can we ever unleash the shackles of nostalgia and tradition away from the 40s and 50s? Because the Angels still have this aura of being an expansion team, a relatively new team, not something that you assign tradition to. And when you stop and think about it, the Angels has, have called this spot home since 1966. I'm in my mid-40s, okay? And I was born six years after they arrived. So if you use the rule of seven, and for those of you who are new to the River Sully, I have the belief that you don't really start forming memories or following sports until you're seven years old. If you are younger than 60 years old, if you are under 60, you don't have a memory of the Angels not playing in Anaheim. That's a long time. That's, that's 60 years of fandom that you can point to and say, yeah, this is where they play. This is where, this is where it happened. Now, if you take a look at the Anaheim Stadium, as it was first called when it was first created, what it looked like, it was basically a stadium in the middle of a concrete sea. It was a gigantic parking lot, and in the middle of it was a stadium where they could build the dimensions that weren't dictated by the city streets around them. This was not an urban stadium. This was a suburban stadium. And this was a result of saying, hey, the reason why you had strange dimensions, the reasons why you had things, you know, walls jet in or the, the right field wall pop up there, in, you know, at Ebbets Field or the Green Monster at Fenway Park, had to be because that's where the streets were. And you created stadiums that weren't bound by the streets, you could have the dimensions be basically whatever you want. The Angels played in Chavez Ravine, which was designed, it was revolutionary in how it was designed, that it was not going to be constrained by the streets around them, but rather be a ballpark where the dimensions could be, you know, could be even and you could have a sense of, I don't know, uniformity with the power alleys and down the line. And you could say the same thing about the stadium here in Anaheim. It may be a neighbor, it may be, have evolved into a neighborhood ballpark, but it was built on a concrete sea. But with that being said, when can we look at something like this with a sense of nostalgia? A sense of, hey, remember when baseball moved out of the downtowns and were able to design them any way they wanted? Yes, yes, I know. We're supposed to poo-poo the cookie-cutter ballparks. We're supposed to eschew that era. But do you know what? I don't. Those are my earliest memories of baseball. Those are the things that I looked at that had great 
memories of seeing great players and great moments. A lot of those were in cookie-cutter ballparks with uniform dimensions. That's my nostalgia. Now, they've done some strange things here to the stadium in Anaheim, like putting that weird rock formation in straightaway center field that looks like the Thunder Mountain Railroad that's across the street in Disneyland. And yeah, you can say that it's tough to look at this as uh, a neighborhood park and everything like that because it has the aura of being a suburban stadium. Even calling them the Los Angeles Angels is somewhat comical. They're not even in Los Angeles County. They should have stayed with the name the California Angels. There is a sense of this being a suburban team. Orange County, for all of its population and for all the, the, you know, the fact that Anaheim is a pretty well-populated city, it's hardly a metropolis. It's hardly a metropolitan area. It is a classic suburban market. But with that being said, don't a lot of people live in the suburbs? Certainly a lot of people are going to be living around this stadium. So at what point can we look at this and say, hey, this is a traditional ballpark. This is a park that harkens back to an earlier time, a time when they moved the teams out of the city and tried to create a sense of uniformity. And when you take a look at all the new ballparks that have come around since the fascination with Camden Yards, you'll see, think about every one of the new ballparks, whether it's Camden Yards, whether it's Jacobs Field, whether it's Petco Park, whether it's AT&T Park, whether it's Safeco Field, whether it's the new stadium in Philadelphia, the new stadium in Pittsburgh, the new stadium in St. Louis, or in Washington, or in Atlanta, wherever it is, they have strange things that jut out here or there. They used to have that weird hill in center field in Houston. They have the, the, the alleyways are in a strange position in Texas because they're trying to simulate the feel of old-time ballparks. They're trying to simulate the quirks and mannerisms of the old stadiums without keeping in mind that those quirks and mannerisms exist because of the environments that they were in. Well, now, guess what that means? That means a stadium here, like the what I'm looking at in Anaheim, is, in a way, a throwback, nostalgic park. The only two authentic, old-time, nostalgic parks that exist are Fenway and Wrigley. And the only reasons why those are special in baseball history is they weren't knocked down. The Red Sox wanted to move to a dome stadium many times. The Cubs threatened to move to suburban Chicago when they couldn't install lights there several times. If a thing bounced here or there in the history of Boston sports and in Chicago sports, the wrecking ball would have showed up to Fenway Park and Fenway and Wrigley would have no more a bigger place in people's hearts than Crosley Field or Forbes Field or Connie Mack Stadium. If it happened to have been Fenway that went to the wrecking ball, but the Phillies decided to refurbish Connie Mack Stadium, people would be waxing nostalgic for the history that was there. The great Phillies team played here. Mike Schmidt and all of them wound up playing there, but it was also the home 
of Lefty Grove and Jimmy Fox, and you can feel their ghosts there. If the pirates had decided to not tear down Forbes Field, you could still hear the cries and cheers of Honus Wagner. Did he play there? I can't remember. Or you'll see that's where Mazeroski hit his homer. That's the only thing that's the difference between Fenway and Wrigley and these other stadiums that many of you have absolutely no memory for is chance. Absolute chance. Most of those stadiums, Sportsman's Park in St. Louis, Forbes Field, Crosley Field, uh, Connie Mack Stadium, almost all of them saw the wrecking ball before I was born. Using the rule of seven, if you're 51 or 52 years or younger, those stadiums are, you might as well be talking about the Roman Colosseum. There were these ghosts of a different time. And the stadiums that we grew up on were the ones with the symmetrical dimensions, with a few exceptions. So at what point can we be nostalgic and wax nostalgic for a stadium like this one in Anaheim? Can we appreciate it? It's had history. It's had consistency. It's had a couple of rebuilds. They, they closed it in when the Rams played here and they knocked down the stadium and the football seatings when the Rams moved out and put the weird Thunder Mountain Railroad in center field. So maybe there's a sense of, oh, I don't know, insecurity about the nostalgia that we should feel for the Big A, but why? This is one of the old stadiums. We're supposed to revere the old stadiums. Instead, we replicate them with phony facsimiles. The place where, and I've made this point, especially when I visited there, the quirks and the mannerisms of City Field are artificial, totally artificial. It's built like Shea Stadium on a concrete sea. So there's no reason to have the walls jut in or out or do anything like that. There's no reason for that to happen. So when you look at a stadium like this, and you say, see how the dimensions are uniform? See how it's in the middle of a parking lot? That's because at the time, that's where baseball was going. And it led to a wonderful era of baseball played in stadiums that were similar to this. And it's designed for, it was one of the first stadiums that was designed as a baseball only and with a sense of trying to make the whole experience, no matter where you're sitting, be a pleasant one without obstructions in the way and without a sense of, well, this part of the stadium is going to jut out in an awkward manner. Nostalgia can paint over some truths that are not always easy to pick up on and not easy to embrace. For all the love and waxing poetic for Ebbets Field that you hear, do you know why the Dodgers wanted to move out of Ebbets Field? Because no one was showing up. It was empty. It was empty most of the time. They had a hard time filling the joint. Even in their greatest years, in the years where they had 
Jackie Robinson and Duke Snyder and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb and Pee Wee Reese and Carl Ferrillo and all of them. Then you think, oh, the boys of summer, I'm crying. Couldn't sell out the place. And the Giants had Willie Mays, managed by Leo DeRocher. Hall of Famers on the team. The great tradition in the same place that Christy Mathewson and Mel Ott and Bill Terry called home. And the greatest player of all time in Willie Mays. They couldn't draw flies there. They couldn't. So this notion that, ah, oh, back then everything was great, and then things started getting bad, and not wanting to be nostalgic for that change, not wanting to be nostalgic for the baseball of the 60s and 70s, is something that I personally find very annoying. Because it means that nostalgia is the sole property of baby boomers remembering the 40s and 50s and remembering them in a way that may not have been so accurate. There's a reason why teams started to move to other places and a lot of those places were suburban stadium was because they couldn't draw. The stadium was empty. You know, it reminds me of like when you like a store closes in your town and you hear people like, oh, I wanted them to stay open. I like them. Why are they closing? Because they're not making any money. You may have liked that that store was there, but were you supporting them? Were you spending money there? If not, well, quit your crying. The Dodgers moved west because they got a great deal to be in Los Angeles and no one was showing up to Ebbets Field. They wanted to build a dome stadium or someplace different. The Angels draw very well here. The Angels get good TV ratings here. The Angels are a popular team that happen to have the best player in baseball and a lot of good memories here. And they play in an old-time traditional ballpark. They play in a place where there's a neighborhood nearby, apartment buildings walking distance to the stadium. You can see the stadium from a lot of the buildings where people live in. And a lot of businesses, some chain and some privately owned, that surround the stadium. Nostalgia is not the sole property of the baby boomers. It's nostalgia for baseball did not end when the Dodgers left Brooklyn. I'm in my mid-40s. I was born in the early 70s when the cookie-cutter ballparks and the polyester uniforms were the norm. That's my nostalgia. And I have a lot of good memories of that. And if you're an Angel fan, and you think of all the great Angel players over the years and the many division titles and the great memories and Hall of Famers and MVPs and everything that have played here in California or Los Angeles or Anaheim, whatever you want to call this place, that's something to be nostalgic for. And do you know what? The Big A deserves some respect. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. 
The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. Looking at the second oldest stadium and one of the four oldest stadiums in all of baseball, the Big A, a place to salute and a place to be nostalgic for. This is Sully Baseball, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.